0: The Continuum of Positionality in Action Research by Katherine Harr and Gary L. Anderson This chapter will discuss a continuum of positions researchers take, from being an insider to being an outsider to the setting under study. Much action research is centrally concerned with these issues of the relationship between outsiders and insiders, since clarity about them is necessary for thinking through issues of research validity as well as research ethics. Traditionally, action researchers were seen as outside change agents. It was assumed that the research was initiated by an outsider, and the central issue was how to involve insiders in the research to a greater extent than with traditional research. Much of this research was, and continues to be, contract or evaluation research, and it was usually funded To solve a particular problem or evaluate a particular program. Master's theses and doctoral dissertations from this action research approach are often done in applied fields that prepare graduates to work collaboratively in areas such as international development, community psychology, social work, health promotion, and other fields. With the advent of highly educated professionals who have acquired research skills and are enrolled in doctorate programs, Action research dissertations are often done by organizational insiders who see it as a way to develop their own reflection on practice toward problem-solving and professional development. In such cases, the researcher and the practitioner may be one and the same. Research by Anderson and Jones on dissertations in educational leadership suggests that these practitioners were partly motivated by the convenience of studying their own site, where they had a deep level of tacit knowledge. However, more important. They wanted their research to make a contribution to their own setting and clients. In many cases, they wanted to use it to empower themselves professionally and personally and to bring about organizational change. Marilyn cochran smith and Susan Little's important book, Inside-Outside Teacher Research and Knowledge, was one of the first to lay out in detail the possibilities and dilemmas of this type of insider research. The issue for many teachers was that knowledge about teaching was being generated exclusively by academic researchers, and that this knowledge was not viewed as useful to the teachers themselves. Clandolin and Connolly argued that outsider knowledge was often experienced by practitioners as a rhetoric of conclusions, which entered the practitioner's professional landscape through informational conduits that funneled propositional and theoretical knowledge to them with little understanding that their landscape was personal, contextual, subjective, temporal, historical, and relational among people, while insiders can do research without outsiders. Insiders doing dissertations have a formal committee of outsiders they can rely on for their methodological guidance. Besides a dissertation committee, most action researchers also seek independent, critical friends who can help them problematize the taken-for-granted aspects of their setting. While insider and outsider positions are at the extremes of the continuum, many studies are done by true collaborations among insiders and outsiders. These studies are known as participatory or collaborative research. Bartnick and Lewis use the term insider-outsider team research. We dedicate an entire chapter to the issue of positionality because the degree to which researchers position themselves as insiders or outsiders will determine how they frame epistemological methodological, and ethical issues in the dissertation. As faculty who advise action research dissertations, we have looked in vain for sources that help students think through how their decisions about positionality influence the many other decisions they will make throughout the study. Besides the issue of being insiders or outsiders to the setting under study, there are other ways to think about positionality. Collins uses the term outsider within to refer to the particular perspective on society that being black and female gives her. In chapter 6, we discuss Lynn Mock's relationship to her African-American participants. As an African-American, she is racially an insider, but as a university researcher, she is an outsider. At the end of this chapter, we will take up in more detail these other ways researchers and participants position themselves. The continuum and implications of positionality presented in Table 3.1 are, in part, the product of a study on numerous action research studies in education that included dissertations, published articles, and conference papers. The original goal of the study was to explore the potential of action research studies as a new source of professional knowledge in the field of education, more specifically, educational leadership. For this book, we have expanded our database beyond educational leadership and explored implications for each position for the validity of action research studies, as well as the unique ethical dilemmas that arise for each position. While the researcher's positionality in relation to the setting is important, it is often no simple matter to define one's position. Some researchers who are outsiders to the setting have little knowledge of it, while others may have extensive and often first-hand knowledge of the setting. For instance, some researchers studying social service agencies may have previously been social workers. Many educational action researchers studying schools may have been teachers. An outside researcher studying a particular Puerto Rican community may be Puerto Rican and may have once lived in the community. Furthermore, participatory action researchers, who tend to be outsiders to the setting under study, report that their relationship to participants can shift throughout the study and can vary for different parts of the study. For instance, participation may be stronger at the problem-posing and data-gathering part of the study than at the write-up and dissemination part. To further complicate matters, insiders to a setting do not have direct access to the truth of the setting. Theirs is merely one truth among many. In the following sections, we have attempted to make some sense of a continuum of positionalities using somewhat oversimplified categories. As we have pointed out, one's positionality doesn't fall out in neat categories and might even shift during the study. Researchers will have to figure out the nuances of how they position themselves with regard to their setting and participants. The reader will find more examples from the field of education on the insider end of the continuum because insider practitioner research is most common in education, although it is becoming increasingly common in fields such as nursing and social work. On the outsider end of the continuum, we provide more examples from organizational and international development, public health, and applied sociology and psychology, particularly community psychology. Insider Researcher studies, own self, practice. If we begin on the far left of the continuum, Category 1 in Table 3.1, we have dissertations in which insiders, either alone or in collaboration with others, are researching their own practice and or practice setting. It is useful to discuss the lone insider researcher separate from an insider group of researchers as we have done in Table 3.1. While one's practice cannot be separated from the setting within which it takes place, a focus on one's own practice versus the actions initiated within the setting is an important conceptual distinction. A focus on one's personal and professional self is a form of action research, usually called self-study, or autoethnography. Jack Whitehead's website at the University of Bath in England provides an excellent overview and examples of theses and dissertations done from this vantage point. Such studies add to the literature on reflective practice and professional learning. In these cases, there is a greater emphasis on narrative, self-reflective methods. On the other hand, practitioner researchers often want to study the outcomes of a program or actions in their own setting, much like an internal evaluation study. These studies often rely on more traditional qualitative and quantitative methods of data gathering. As we will discuss in this chapter, a common mistake in this type of research is to treat one's personal and professional self as an outside observer rather than as an insider committed to the success of the actions under study. We find it is difficult, and perhaps deceptive, to attempt to separate the study of one's self and practice from the study of the outcomes of actions initiated in a setting. If a researcher is studying a program that is his or her baby, then the tendency for self-promotion may be too great to overcome. In such cases, an outsider should be brought in to do the study, even if it means finding another dissertation topic. The following excerpt from Moira Evans's dissertation illustrates the impulse to self-reflection that often leads to an action research study. At the time of the study, Evans was a deputy head, what would be called an assistant or vice principal in the U.S. of a school in Britain. What are you doing? I asked George, one of the other deputy heads one Wednesday afternoon at about five o'clock. Oh, this and that, he replied. He stopped doing this or that, and tried to put his mind to talking to me. I don't seem to have anything to do, I said naively. I had only been there a few days. He looked at me as if he were about to launch into a diatribe about what he had to do, and then he thought better of it. You will soon, was all he said, soothingly, and turned back to his pieces of paper. Gradually, I became the proud receiver of pieces of paper. At first, they only trickled in. I felt very important and looked for places to file them. That seemed to be a useful task, to update the previous deputy's filing cabinet. I thought I would just leave last year's papers there and then add my own. But it wasn't that easy. I couldn't work out why papers relating to 20 years ago were still there. I'd made an early decision to throw them all out and start again. I developed a good system. I had a place for everything, and for the first three weeks or so, every letter or document was put away. The papers covered a much wider range of items than those I had received when I was a senior teacher elsewhere. I realized that the head and three deputies had copies of practically every document that was generated in the school, and that this was a good way of ensuring communications were effective. I certainly couldn't complain that I had been left out. Neither could I complain that I didn't know something, because the chances were that if I had read my paperwork, I would know. Lessons, marking, administration, meetings, planning, all gathered pace, and eventually, I was caught up in the race with everyone else. It was tremendously exciting, and I felt very privileged to be at the heart of the management of the institution. I enjoyed talking about how we should go about achieving our aims and planning all of this with various groups of people in the school. I enjoyed doing the work. Getting my hands dirty is the expression we used. I remember my life as being on a series of interconnecting treadmills. The momentum had increased so much that I felt I was running along from one rung to the next, jumping from one wheel to another, just keeping going, not pausing to see the scenery. I'd always liked running and reckoned to be good, but eventually, I became a little disenchanted. I wanted to get off. I wanted to stop and see what was happening around me. We cite the above passage from Evans's dissertation because it captures the spirit practitioners need to make meaning of their practice. Schoen used the notion of the reflective practitioner to describe those practitioners who learn to learn about their practice, and therefore become better practitioners. In a sense, these types of dissertations are insider case studies of practitioner learning that both become a form of professional development for the researcher and provide case study data on how practitioners learn and grow in different professional contexts. Some academics don't take dissertations very seriously as sources of knowledge because they are seen as being done by amateur researchers who are just learning their craft. However, this type of action research dissertation is more than an amateur researcher demonstrating a certain level of competence in doing research. It is an account of how one practitioner went about learning his or her craft and what was learned in the process. Such insider accounts generate important knowledge to be shared among practitioners, just as case studies reported by academic researchers do. In fact, they begin to build a knowledge base that can inform the research community about the actions and beliefs of practitioners a knowledge base that is otherwise unavailable. This type of self-reflective action research is always written up in the first person. Evans's narrative has characteristics of a story with elements of humor and irony and a narrative hook that leads the reader into wanting to read more. Practitioners tend to use narrative and story as a way to communicate professional knowledge, which makes it particularly appropriate for action research. Unlike action research studies that use ethnographic and behavioral science methods, self-studies often use journals and diaries as major sources of data. Insider researchers have unique dilemmas. A simple logistical dilemma is that they can't be in two places at once. Practitioners don't have the luxury of the ethnographer, who can take copious field notes, write them up, and transcribe interviews. Using the ethnographic approach places practitioners in a logistically untenable position because they can't work and record data at the same time. A few accounts, primarily in education, exist of how practitioners have adapted traditional methods to their own contexts. As practitioner research continues to become more prevalent in fields such as nursing and social work, we anticipate that similar accounts will be produced for those unique contexts. The tacit knowledge that a practitioner acquires over months and years of working in a site raises both logistical and epistemological issues. Logistically, this tacit knowledge is an advantage in that it would have to be reproduced from scratch through ethnographic observation at a new site. However, it raises epistemological problems in the sense that unexamined, tacit knowledge of a site tends to be impressionistic, full of bias, prejudice, and unexamined impressions and assumptions that need to be surfaced and examined. Furthermore, insiders, because they are often true believers in their particular practices, are too often tempted to put a positive spin on their data. For this reason, mechanisms for dealing with bias need to be employed. We will discuss the issue of bias in more detail, but one way to deal with bias is to acknowledge one's presence in the study and build in self-reflection. In the following dissertation abstract, Fico describes how he went about doing a study in his own classroom in which he wanted to do ethnographic research while acknowledging his own presence as teacher and researcher. He frames his research as a, quote, hybrid between the traditional dissertation study and studies carried out by teachers on their own practice. Quote, this study was a year-long investigation into the work and attitudes associated with language and language study of the teacher and students in a North Philadelphia classroom. The text describes the complex evolution of a class where language was made problematic, and students were encouraged to raise and investigate questions about the roles language played in their lives. It was conducted as a form of teacher research using qualitative methods and, as such, represents a hybrid between the traditional dissertation study and studies carried out by teachers on their own practice. It argues that the study benefits from both paradigms in that it is responsive to the scope, knowledge base, and rigor of academic research while documenting the practice of the teacher from an emic, or insider, perspective, a perspective too rare in the current literature. Research methods including collecting and analyzing student work, audio field notes, class transcripts, and both individual and focus group interviews. In addition, the collected data was analyzed by diverse networks of teacher researchers at both a local and national level thereby bringing multiple perspectives to the analysis. Focused around the following question, what does it mean for a teacher and students to take a critical stance on language? This study concerned itself with the roles which were played, the topics and issues which were raised, the ways in which knowledge was generated, and the range of student attitudes on critical language issues, end quote. Although this is a study of Feko's classroom and the interactions that occur around language use, he also owns his own role as insider turning it to his advantage by arguing that it provides a rare emic perspective on classroom life, while also incorporating rigorous ethnographic methods and data analysis. Insider Collaboration with Other Insiders Insider researchers often collaborate with other insiders as a way to do research that not only might have a greater impact on the setting, but is also more democratic. However, power relations in a setting operate even when insiders think they are being collaborative. For instance, while principals, teachers, and counselors may collaborate as insiders in a school located in a low-income community, they may or may not view the students or community as part of the collaboration. Unless they do, the results of their action research may benefit them at the expense of the powerless. This is also true of outside change agents who collaborate with schools or other organizations. In such cases, what may look like collaboration can end up being unintended collusion by professionals against the interests of their clients and communities. This is especially true when outsiders are invited in by those at the top of the organization or community hierarchy. These issues of power become increasingly important as funded participatory international development projects are led by researchers from so-called developed nations working in developing nations. These insider collaborations, the second category in Table 3.1, are manifested in many organizations as inquiry groups that go under different names. In business, they are often teams that engage in what is called data-based decision-making. In communities, they can be Alinsky-inspired, interfaith community organizing groups such as the Industrial Areas Foundation, IAF, parent organizations and schools, or consumer groups. In education, they go under names such as teacher study groups, teacher inquiry groups, critical friends groups, or leadership teams. These various forms of insider collaborative inquiry vary in their degree of autonomy. Some groups are fairly spontaneous and work at the margins of organizations or communities, whereas others either evolve into or are incorporated into the governance structure. Collaborative inquiry groups often are convened by formal institutional efforts that create site-based management teams to engage in data-driven organizational change efforts. While more autonomous groups provide more freedom and idiosyncrasy, more mainstream groups hold out more possibility of impacting the overall organizational culture. Some argue that autonomous inquiry groups lead to greater balkanization and micropolitics. Others argue that groups that are brought into the organizational mainstream may be too easily co-opted. Regardless of how groups of participants interested in inquiry choose to situate themselves along the continuum of formal institutional to informal autonomous, these group efforts have several aspects in common. They engage in inquiry in ways that help the group move from working as isolated individuals toward a collaborative community. They seek to engage their members in learning and change. They work toward influencing organizational change. And they offer opportunities for personal, professional, and institutional transformation. Hedman, a fourth-grade teacher, did a collaborative study for her dissertation with the parents of her students. Quote, parents and teachers typically establish and maintain hierarchical relationships which ascribe excessive authority to the school, thus limiting the possibilities for dialogue and mutual learning. Their discussions of children's literacy often fail to acknowledge the contributions that parents can make based on their knowledge and experiences of children at home. Neglecting parents' voices in schools and in-home and school literacy research means the parent's critical role in supporting children's literacy development is overlooked. By investigating with parents their perspectives on children's literacy experiences in and out of school, this study seeks to understand the relationships between children's home and school literacy and to model processes by which parents and teachers develop a reciprocal dialogue. Eight parents of my fourth-grade public school students joined me in a two-month co-investigation Individually and collectively, we raised questions, observed, documented, and reflected on children's uses of reading and writing in and out of school. Weekly meetings were held with individual families and occasionally involved all participants. Data sources included literacy diaries written by parents and myself about children's experiences, audiotapes of meetings, participants' reflective journal entries, and children's literacy profiles constructed jointly by parents and the teacher. The study's findings provide evidence that parents can be a rich resource to teachers and researchers. When parents documented children's literacy experiences at home, they observed a wide variety that were not school-like or school-directed. The data reveal patterns of participation and learning from literacy activities that distinguish families from one another and from their children's shared school experiences. This suggests that organizing literacy interactions in classrooms or homes after a single model would be inappropriate. Through the parent-teacher research process, parents raised issues about current practices in classroom grouping, integrative curriculum, assessment, and teaching and learning relationships, providing further evidence for the importance of including parents' knowledge and experience in the design of effective learning contexts for their children. These findings suggest that beyond routine parent conferences, alternative structures for dialogue with teachers are needed that allow for parents' critical reflection and substantive contributions to the school literacy curriculum. Insiders in Collaboration with Outsiders A less common position is insiders initiating collaborations with outsiders. In such cases, organizational or community members contract or invite outsiders to collaborate on research. This collaboration can also range from merely bringing someone in to consult on methodology to collaborations that involve outsiders from the point of problem definition. Collaborative or Participatory Action Research, PAR, in general raises unique issues with regard to how knowledge claims are justified and how power and control over the research process is distributed. PAR, Reciprocal Collaboration, Insider-Outsider Teams. If there were an ideal form of PAR, the insider-outsider team would probably fit the bill. However, because all action research is done within a particular context, there may be many situations in which this would not be the best way to design a study, at least not initially. Furthermore, achieving this kind of reciprocal collaboration often requires many years of negotiation among stakeholders, as illustrated in Lynn Mock's dissertation study described in Chapter 6. After years of engaging in action research in organizational contexts, White concluded that, quote, the social scientist should not seek to establish such a partnership the moment he or she enters the field. In industry or agriculture, the technical specialists will generally have little understanding of what the social scientist might contribute, and they will react against the newcomer who claims powers they lack. Those social scientists most successful in establishing such interdisciplinary partnerships view themselves initially as participant observers, showing respect for the work of practitioners practitioners and technical specialists, and seeking to learn from them. As the social scientist gains an understanding of the organizational culture and work systems, he or she will find ways of contributing that are appreciated by the technical specialists. This will pave the way for establishing the full partnerships presented by PAR. End quote. While this may be the ideal for a PAR study, in practical terms, a doctoral student may not have the time for this kind of full partnership to form, unless it forms as part of a pilot study or, as in Mock's case, previous to her entering the study. In the following section, we will further address problems associated with arriving at the right level of participation among researchers and participants. PAR – Outsiders in Collaboration with Insiders The notion of insider and outsider is often a matter of degree. On the continuum of positionality in Table 3.1, Positions 4, 5, and 6 illustrate the gradations from participatory insider-outsider teams all the way to non-participatory outsider research. For instance, in the studies described in Chapter 6, the Mach study was part of a collaboration that would be located near 4, the middle of the continuum. The McIntyre study would be located closer to 5 on the continuum. This probably is the most common type of collaborative action research because it is more common for outsiders to initiate research projects than insiders, except perhaps when insiders invite outsiders in to do a collaborative evaluation, which was the case in the mock study. Those projects that locate themselves at the center of the continuum of positionality in Table 3.1 are rare indeed. As our case examples in Chapter 6 suggest, insiders are often too busy to be full participants and seldom do the incentive structures of organizations, other than universities, reward research. While the mock collaborative study described in Chapter 6 came perhaps as close as possible to creating an insider-outsider team, even these researchers acknowledged the difficulty of negotiating equal levels of commitment to the project. Cochran Smith and Little point out that there is some justifiable fear that collaborations between university researchers and practitioners or communities can be co-opted by the university researchers who have greater incentives and interest in publication. White's insight, mentioned previously about the defensiveness of organizational insiders, goes a long way in explaining why they are often reluctant to invite outsiders into their research projects. For instance, the Teachers as Researchers Special Interest Group of the American Educational Research Association initially discouraged academics from joining so they could have conversations that were not monopolized by university scholars. The issue of what each stakeholder wants out of the research needs to be negotiated carefully if reciprocity is to be achieved. The attitude of PAR can be illustrated by a model reported by Tolly and Bentley which is adapted from MYRADA, a non-governmental organization involved in rural development in India, from the four squares of self-knowledge published in Luft. When outsiders enter a collaborative research study with the mindset of the third quadrant of this diagram, they frame themselves as outside experts rather than collaborative researchers. This often reinforces a tendency by insiders to place themselves in quadrant 2, undervaluing their own professional or vernacular knowledge. The goal of collaborative research is to reduce the tendencies of quadrants 2 and 3 and to expand quadrant 1. Issues of reciprocity for PAR and collaborative research are very complex. Cornwall has adapted a continuum of purposes for PAR that is displayed in Table 3.3. She provides a useful list of the varying degrees of participation or collaboration that take place in PAR. For excellent discussions of reflexivity and the external researcher in PAR, see Dixon, Dixon and Green, and McGuire. Bardonek and Lewis provide a more extended discussion of when insider-outsider teams are appropriate and what makes them successful. Often it is difficult to identify a researcher's position, and thus the issue of whether one is actually doing action research may be called into question. The following dissertation abstract provides an example in which the researcher's position is ambiguous. She is the facilitator of several teacher research groups works for the school district, but is an outsider to the teacher's professional settings. Her working hypothesis is that teacher research groups, if left on their own, tend to reproduce current practices rather than challenge them. She highlights the importance of the facilitator, but her positionality as a member of the district hierarchy implies a particular agenda. Quote, The purpose of this research study is to examine my four-year role as a facilitator of 12 teacher research groups throughout British Columbia. I examine facilitated teacher research groups as one pathway to engendering educational reform. My thesis is that, without the external voice of the facilitator, contexts for pedagogical dialogue have the possibility of becoming nothing more than a retelling of incidents that occur consistently in the dailiness of teaching. Without the external facilitator, teacher research groups may become rooted in practices at the expense of substance. The rigorous conversations and the rethinking of practice may be in jeopardy of being replaced by sessions in which teachers are emotionally and socially supported, yet changes in practice are not viewed as vital. This research study focuses on problematic aspects, tensions, and perplexing questions that emerged in my practice as a facilitator for teacher research groups. These dilemmas included grappling with the colleague expert dichotomy contrived collegiality, unexamined practitioner constructions of knowledge, and prodding practitioners to move beyond the seductive peril of retelling their own stories to take action towards rethinking and subsequently changing their own practice. Teachers viewed my role as facilitator as important because it contributed an external perspective which focused practitioners on what made a difference to student learning. Positionality occurs not only in terms of inside-outside, but also in terms of one's position in the organizational or social hierarchy, and one's position of power vis-a-vis other stakeholders inside and outside the setting. As we will discuss below, all of these nuances must be taken into account in an action research dissertation. Outsiders Studies Insiders This category may seem irrelevant to action research because it describes a traditional outsider position taken by quantitative and qualitative researchers. However, this end of the continuum does contain some gradations of insider-outsider collaborations and some interesting debates about whether action research is really that different from traditional research. In this section, we will discuss A. How action research is different from what social scientists call applied research. B. Collaborative research among outsiders. C. Research done by outsiders who study action research projects. And D. Scholarly work on action research as a methodology. It's history, epistemology, etc. There is some debate about whether action research is a separate epistemology or merely a type of applied social science research. Spelkovic states, quote, The difference between the applied research model and the action research model is that participation with the actors in the field is an important part of action research. Although the applied research model is very general, it is no different epistemologically from an action research model. Action research is simply one of several possible ways to conduct applied research. Thus, action research is a method that can be fruitfully combined with other methods, questionnaires, interviews, observations, whatever. And in this respect, it does not require specific epistemological commitments. Quote. He sees the participatory aspect of action research as merely supplementing the applied model. Thus, an action research study on this end of the continuum is viewed as applied research in which the outsider may engage more closely with the study's participants. This level of engagement, according to Spelkevik, can vary during the life of the study. In his study of Norwegian fish farms, he began as an outsider doing applied research, aimed at generating knowledge about rural development and survival strategies in marginal or remote areas. The study evolved into PAR as the questions shifted and as relationships with informants deepened. Ethnographers have traditionally lived in their informants' communities and have called what they do participant observation. In fact, the ability to participate effectively in community life is often a sign that the ethnographer has learned the culture. Nevertheless, few ethnographers would call what they do PAR. Thus, the notion of outsider is complex and nuanced. In fact, just as insiders collaborate with other insiders to do action research projects, outsiders sometimes collaborate with other outsiders to form collaborative research teams. They are not necessarily doing action research, but they are doing research collaboratively. When doing any kind of applied research with participants, it is difficult to predict how a study will evolve in terms of its action orientation or the extent to which participants are included in deliberations about questions, methods, data gathering, findings, and dissemination of research. Because action research has gained popularity in recent years, there are a number of doctoral students who have studied action research projects but are not using action research to do so. Most of these are qualitative or mixed-method studies of teacher research teams in schools or international development projects. Although these are not action research dissertations, and thus not the focus of this book, it is important to emphasize that action research projects can be documented by insiders, outsiders, or PAR teams. For instance, O'Donnell Allen did a study for her dissertation of a teacher research group, but positioned herself as an outsider. She makes no pretense of doing collaborative research of any kind. Her goal was to observe the group and gather examples of teacher discourse. It is an example of a study of teacher research, rather than a study with teacher researchers. Besides outsider research on action research projects, there is also scholarship on action research methods and epistemology. These dissertations use a combination of historical, philosophical, or sociological methods. Nofke, who has published extensively on action research since her dissertation, did a conceptual analysis of action research, asking the following questions central to understanding and evaluating action research. 1. Under what conditions does it emerge as a competing form of research? Two, how do forms and intentions of action research vary? And three, what forms of action research offer a possibility for educational research that is responsive to teachers' working conditions, to theory, and to the furtherance of social justice? End quote. Using primarily historical methods and feminist theory, she found, among other findings. Contradictions in Action Research Between Democratic and Social Engineering Intentions and Methods. Suninga Arushia, who herself did action research in Chile in the 1970s, interviewed 31 action researchers not, quote, to define what true or real action research was, but to construct a conceptual framework to facilitate dialogue about issues and differences in action research practice, end quote. Like Nofke, she found that views of action researchers varied from, quote, a restricted view, which is micro-based and emphasizes social efficiency and traditional research, a broad view, which is macro-oriented and emphasizes empowerment and social action, and a mixed view, which attempts to integrate aspects of each of these approaches, end quote. We have further discussed these views of action research in Chapter 2, drawing on what Habermas called the knowledge interests behind different types of action research. Multiple Positionalities In this chapter, we have attempted to help action researchers clarify their often complex relationships to the setting that is being studied. There are other ways, however, to think about researcher positionality. The list below provides multiple ways of thinking about one's position within an action research project and some citations of work that can help sort these issues out. 1. Insider-Outsider positionality vis-à-vis the setting under study. Two hierarchical position, or level of informal power within the organization community. 3. Position vis-à-vis dominant groups in society, class, race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, age, ability, disability, religion, and so forth. 4. Position within colonial relations within and between nation-states. The complexity of the notion of inside-outside is captured by Collins's discussion of being an outsider within. She suggests that one's location in an organization or community makes for varying vantage points and differing lenses of reality. Some people are outsiders within, residing in the margins and observing, quote, the contradictions between the dominant group's actions and ideologies, end quote. Collins maintains that outsiders within offer a specialized, subjugated knowledge, a peculiar marginality, that provides a unique standpoint on self and society. For example, women in a male-dominated organization may become expert observers of the male culture as they navigate their day-to-day interactions with colleagues. The knowledge they possess, in this case, is not unlike that of Collins' example of black slaves who have special knowledge of the white household because their survival is dependent on knowing the culture of whites. The dominant group is under no equivalent obligation. As Foucault points out, subjugated knowledge is offered by those who are sufficiently outside the mainstream of an organization or entity, perhaps those located down low on the institutional hierarchy. This specialized knowledge can foster organizational learning or be seen as a threat to the maintenance of the culture of an institution. But each of us as researchers occupies multiple positions that intersect and may bring us into conflicting allegiances or alliances with our research sites. We may occupy positions where we are included as insiders, while simultaneously, in some dimensions, we identify as outsiders. In the latter case, these dimensions often encompass one's race, social class, gender, or sexual orientation, in relationship to the site being studied. These dimensions extend into the worldview that one brings to the institution, both in terms of political or ideological beliefs, as well as cultural assumptions. Each of these dimensions enters into the construction of the reality we capture for our research. We suggest that our obligation as researchers is to interrogate our multiple positionalities in relationship to the question under study. Our sense is that, in making explicit the tensions we experience as researchers and our varying roles and statuses, we have the possibility of crafting uniquely complex understandings of the research question. In addition, we hope to avoid the blind spots that come with unexamined beliefs. Tammy Ann Schwartz's dissertation research exemplifies the complexities of positionality. Schwartz was a doctoral student at the University of Cincinnati who did a PAR project with 11 Appalachian girls to explore their writing practices. Quote, After dialoguing about writing and related issues, the girls conducted their investigation by interviewing their sisters, mothers, and female friends and cousins. Themes of place, identity, class, and writing emerged from the subsequent analysis and dialogues. These dialogues in turn led to action as the girls began to confront class specific stereotypes connected to place. End quote. On the surface, Schwartz appears to be an outsider, convening group dialogues with these girls in a classic PAR model. Her adult status and educational level also make her an outsider to the girls. However, Schwartz is also an insider in terms of her working class origins, which matches that of the girls but more important, it turns out she also grew up in a neighborhood adjacent to the one in which these girls live. Quote, what follows is a story of lives and research. For me, it is a story of traveling away from the community, traveling back, traveling between knowing and not knowing, between insider and outsider. For the girls, it is a story of traveling between knowing and conscientization and action, and between living and revising neighborhood narratives about what it means to be a girl in this place at this time. For all of us together, it is a story of questioning ourselves, our neighborhood, our identities, our worlds." We share her introductory narrative below, in part as an example of how researchers can narrate themselves into their dissertations, but also to demonstrate the tensions that arise when one shares certain positionalities with one's participants. I am home again, indeed, and it is this research that brings me home. It brings me back to my days as a young urban Appalachian girl growing up in a bad neighborhood full of hillbillies and white trash. Willingly, I assumed the shame so often associated with my neighborhood, a shame outsiders expected me to claim. Oh, you are from City Hill, they would say with disdain. I also heard what they didn't say. You are no good if you were from that neighborhood, that place. Well, they must be right, I thought. Of course they were right. After all, they were better dressed than me. They didn't use no double negatives they had their own washers and they didn't have to ride the bus they owned cars different i was from them who i was according to so many others was associated with where i lived city hill trash on the streets crowded laundromats corner convenience stores good for pops bags of chips and rolls of toilet paper when the big grocery store five blocks up the avenue felt too far away section 8 housing food stamps mom's welfare check roaches in the kitchen No child support from my mother. Trips to the local goodwill for new sweaters and lots of love, hard work, and a stubbornness to be somebody. I wanted out. Out was the only way to claim an identity as someone, at least as someone who mattered in ways that gave one access to power. In my adolescent eyes, getting an education could get me out. There were problems with this education gettin', though. Education gettin' meant I might not talk like my family. I might move away and become part of a foreign and scary world. Sometimes. Accepting my white trashness was simple and comforting. I knew the expectations. Now more than 20 years and lots of education getting later. It is ironic that what I used to escape, education that is, is what brings me back to the place I longed to flee, the place that filled me with shame to call home, City Hill. I am home again, indeed, and it is haunting. The research presented in this dissertation takes me back to my youth by taking me back to a neighborhood similar and adjacent to the one in which I grew up. It also takes me back to my adolescent self. Because of this work, I am reminded of struggles I encountered growing up, struggles that I can only now name as ones related to my class, poor, my race, white, my gender, female, and my ethnicity, Appalachian, and the strange and mysterious ways in which all of these identities intersected with place, my neighborhood, End quote. Rivera did a similar PAR study with six Puerto Rican and Dominican young women. She studied their strategies of resistance for self-determination and collective determination within various relationships and contexts, including their schools, neighborhoods, and homes. She found that forms of resistance varied by setting and were often simultaneously oppressive and liberating. She explored resistance patterns by engaging with the young women in three participatory projects over two years, a community video project, an art center project on Latinas' lives, and an educational workshop series. Rivera found that participatory methods were instrumental in developing relationships with the women and maintaining the integrity of the study. An Appalachian woman studying Appalachian girls or a Latina woman studying Latina young women provides a certain insider status and a deep, tacit knowledge about the participants' ethnic communities and gendered perspectives. There is also an added sense of self-discovery and social advocacy for the researchers. However, being an insider in any sense also brings a subtle tendency to take some aspects of the setting for granted and a need to make the apparently familiar seem strange. The outsider within stance as a flawed approach to action research. While Collins and others have discussed the special vantage point that being a marginalized member of society an outsider within provides, there is another way that action researchers, particularly practitioners, use an outsider within approach that is dishonest and tends to skew the research process. Too often, when insiders to an organization or community do dissertation research, the researcher and the dissertation committee members treat it as outsider research. Often, they simply draw on the validity criteria for more traditional forms of research and ignore the insider status of the researcher. In such cases, insiders end up taking an outsider within stance in which they frame the study inappropriately using outsider validity criteria, such as prolonged engagement with the field, that fails to address the unique dilemmas of practitioners studying their own sites. This most often occurs when members higher up in the organizational hierarchy engage in action research and when neither the doctoral student nor the dissertation committee have familiarized themselves with the tenets of action research. We believe that this outsider within stance toward practitioner research causes epistemological and methodological problems since validity criteria, particularly for qualitative research, was designed with outsiders in mind. The dilemma of the insider is the opposite of that of the outsider. Quote, academics, outsiders, want to understand what it is like to be an insider without going native and losing the outsider's perspective. Practitioners, insiders, already know what it is like to be an insider, but because they are native to the setting, they must work to see the taken-for-granted aspects of their practice from an outsider's perspective. The outsider within position also ignores the potential of studying the researcher or practitioner's ongoing actions and shifting perceptions within the setting as part of the research. Instead, following the norms of outsider research, one's actions within the setting are either not acknowledged or seen as a problem of reactivity or contamination of the setting. Such a position is part of a research tradition that sees the sole purpose of the research as generating valid knowledge as a contribution to a knowledge base in a particular field. Anderson and Jones, in their study of practitioner research dissertations, found that, quote, although personal, professional, and organizational social transformation might be a byproduct of insiders doing outsider within research, it was usually reported, if at all, as an afterthought in the dissertations, end quote. To downplay or fail to acknowledge one's insider status is deceptive and allows the researcher to avoid the kind of intense self-reflection that is the hallmark of good practitioner research. Such deceptive studies are often done for the sake of convenience or to use an evaluation of a local program as a dissertation study. Anderson and Jones found that when researchers authentically position themselves as insiders doing action research, or self-studies, they moved individual organizational, and social transformation through actions taken within the setting to the forefront. These authentic studies were more likely to engage in the traditional action research spiral of iterative cycles of plan, act, observe, reflect. The increased understandings of practice and the practice setting that result from these studies represent the findings of this type of self-reflective research. Conclusion Our purpose in this chapter is not to recommend any particular positionality as an ideal, Although it is true that Position 4 on the Continuum in Table 3.1, the Insider-Outsider Team, represents the most potentially democratic approach, we believe that knowledge production from all positions is valid as long as one is honest and reflective about one's multiple positionalities. As we have argued, self-reflection has important consequences for the study's trustworthiness and on the ethics of the research. In the following chapter, we will discuss in more detail how positionality determines how one thinks about the criteria for quality or trustworthiness of the study. Insiders, outsiders, and insider-outsider teams all have different dilemmas to resolve in designing and carrying out an action research project. For students doing action research dissertations, it is crucial to think these issues through prior to beginning the study, and to make them explicit in the dissertation proposal.